An event not seen in decades kicks off with drama as the Texas Senate tries the impeachment of Attorney General Ken Paxton. Immoral, unethical, and, and I had a good faith belief that, that it was illegal. Former top members of the AG's office testify about what they saw, their testimony, and the heated cross-examination setting the course for the case. Texas border buoys making a ripple across the country as courts weigh in on whether the barriers need to be removed. Once people found an avenue to keep information secret, they utilized it. Justice no longer denied as the so-called dead suspect loophole is removed by state lawmakers. The impact this change will have with the representative who helped end this practice. Produced from the Capitol in Austin and airing statewide, this is the award-winning State of Texas. Hello and thank you for joining us. I'm Josh Hinkle. History at the Texas Capitol as the impeachment trial for suspended Attorney General Ken Paxton got underway. It kicked off with ceremony, but then a critical vote to decide whether the impeachment would move forward at all. Monica Madden shows us the start of this historic trial. A historic day in the Texas Senate. So help me God. So help me God. Unable to vote, Senator Angela Paxton hugged her husband before embarking on the trial that could remove him from office. It started with the swearing in of key players. I do solemnly swear or affirm. Then senators voted to deny all of Paxton's request to toss out articles. There being 22 nays and eight yeas, the motion is denied. 24 nays and six ayes, the Motion is denied. Motion is denied. In opening statements, the Republican who led impeachment in the House laid out the lower chamber's case. The House uncovered egregious misconduct and abuse of office by the Attorney General of the state of Texas. He should be removed from office and prevented from ever holding a position of trust in the state of Texas. Paxton's attorneys pushed back attacking the process and what they call false narratives about Paxton. Why did it happen when it did? What was the rush? We've heard in the media about burner phones, secret email addresses, Uber rides, stolen pins, pilfered sport coats. Those are manufactured lies. Both asking the jury to do the right thing after senators prayed for fortitude as they take on a duty only few have before. We just pray that when all this is over, that all of us will walk away uh, knowing in your eyes that we did the right thing. Monica joins us now. I want to start with the vote on the first day on whether to dismiss all the charges. It failed by a 24 to 6 vote. That's a huge margin, but Paxton only needs 10 senators on his side to avoid impeachment, right? That's right. We have that two-thirds majority threshold in order to impeach or convict, I should say, on any of the articles of impeachment. And it just has to be on one of the 16 articles that senators are considering. And I think this 24 to 6 vote maybe gave us a little bit of a preview of where the senators stand, but don't want to read too much into it. This was just on a vote of whether or not to dismiss the articles of impeachment. Paxton's defense team was arguing that there was not enough evidence. So even though you had senators vote no, 24 of them vote no, we shouldn't dismiss that. Maybe they just wanted to see the evidence. So I think it is an early sign, but 
we still have a ways to go in the trial. Who are these six senators? Uh, Paul Bettencourt of Houston, Donna Campbell of New Braunfels, Brandon Creighton of Conroe, Bob Hall of Edgewood, Lois Colkhurst of Brenham, and Tan Parker of Flower Mound. Half of those senators, though, Bettencourt, Campbell, and Parker are up for re-election in 2024. So keep in mind, we immediately in the aftermath of the House impeachment saw some of those Republicans who did vote to impeach. They started getting primary opponents, so that perhaps could be a factor. Now, there were at least five Republicans who voted in favor of dismissing the articles at least once. That's Senator Brian Birdwell of Granbury, Brian Hughes of Mineola, Charles Perry of Lubbock, Charles Schwartner of Georgetown, and Kevin Sparks of Midland. Josh. All right, Monica, thank you very much. Former employees of the Attorney General's office took the witness stand, starting with Jeff Mateer. He served as Assistant Attorney General, basically Ken Paxton's second in command. Ryan Chandler looks closer at what he said on the stand. I concluded that you know, Mr. Paxton was engaged in, 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 in conduct that was immoral, unethical, and, and I had a good faith belief that, that it was illegal. Paxton's top attorney turned whistleblower, star witness for Paxton's prosecutors, recounting what he saw working in the AG's office. The problem is the office is being used for the benefit of, of one person. It's not exercising its own independent judgment. You have the attorney general acting on behalf of one person. And by this time, I knew that he was a campaign donor. Mateer says that donor, Austin real estate developer Nate Paul, got special treatment from Paxton to the detriment of other Texans. This is all hearsay. Paxton's defense, confrontational, calling Mateer's accusations hearsay and his FBI complaint premature. Is it possible, Mr. Mateer, that you jumped to a lot of conclusions really fast? I don't believe so, sir. And you could have, you could have put all this to bed if you just talked to your boss. I attempted to talk to him starting probably in June, July, August, September. No. I did. You, take it easy. I now. did talk to him, sir. Take it easy. This kind of shooting in the dark is inappropriate. Ryan Chandler, State of Texas. We're back with Monica and Will Dupree, anchor for KXAN Live. You both covered this trial all week. Who are the witnesses we're hearing from and what are they alleging? Well, the first three witnesses that prosecution called were top officials within the Office of Attorney General. Those who know how the office works, there's this so-called eighth floor, eighth floor where most of the highest ranking officials work. And these are some of those types of figures. They were first assistant attorney general, deputy first assistant attorney general, people who really had packs ear and that's why uh, prosecution called them to the witness stand to really give their account of the conversations that they had with Paxton about their concerns about his relationship with Nate Paul. And they said and testified that, you know, they had many different instances during a few months in 2020 where they had concerns about how the office was potentially being used on behalf of Nate Paul. Again, this Austin real estate developer and a campaign donor to Ken Paxton. They said that at least two of the witnesses Witnesses said that, you know, they had concerns about this and raised them with Paxton over and over again, and their advice was not heeded. Ultimately, that led them and a group of whistleblowers to go to the FBI and report this alleged misconduct and potential crimes to that agency. 
What's the strategy been like for defense lawyers when they've been cross-examining these witnesses? Well, I think as you would see in any other trial, obviously defense's goal is to make the witness seem less credible. And mm. that certainly was a theme during the cross-examination that we heard uh, with defense lawyers, you know, really grilling these officials on their conversations with Paxton and whether or not they had actual evidence before going to the FBI. A lot of those witnesses, of course, countered with that saying, you know, we had very good reason to believe that there was illicit activity going on, and that's where they did hand it off to the federal officials to take it from there and tends to be more of the FBI's job to go and search for that concrete evidence. But I think you really saw a strategy from defense of kind of, you know, at some points yelling at them to really sort of catch them off guard almost. It was a very combative exchanges that happened, especially as the witnesses and their testimony went along. The third witness, uh, Ryan Vassar, uh, they had to be reprimanded at times. The defense attorneys did because of just how uh, elevated the voices became and the peppering of questions that he received during that testimony. Beyond that combativeness, what has been some of the moments that have really stuck out as being notable from this trial so far? Well, speaking of Ryan Vassar, I think he definitely had one of those, a lot of standout moments in his yeah. testimony, notably when he first took the witness stand. Um, at the time, Rusty Hardin, prosecutor, was asking him questions and asked him about a comment that Paxton made about Vassar after he reported him to the FBI and was later terminated. Paxton had publicly referred to him as a rogue employee and Hardin was questioning him about this and he started to choke up at the witness stand and you know as he was being pressed about that he said I spent years of my life dedicated to public service and to be called that it was he said it was very hurtful and it was to the point where someone from defense actually got up to bring him a tissue while he was on the witness stand. The first witness called during this impeachment trial another moment that happened with him Jeff Mateer was this big question that kind of hung through all the testimony was a lot of these whistleblowers were wondering what is this connection that Ken Paxton and Nate Paul have and why are these certain actions being taken at this time? Jeff Mateer testified that he believed uh, that there was potential blackmail happening and this is all tied to an extramarital affair that they say Ken Paxton had. Uh, during the testimony, prosecutors said that the alleged mistress uh, was employed at Nate Paul's office and that may be the reason why there was that connection. Again, the defense refutes all of that, denies all those kinds of allegations. So that's really a big exchange that happened during the very first part of this trial. Well, I really appreciate all the coverage you've done. You've seen every minute of this trial so far, and I know there's many more minutes to come, so thank you for all the coverage. The legal battles over buoys along the border, shifting with the political and judicial currents once again. The impact of the new maneuvers in court that could ultimately sink the state's effort. And a victory in the fight for police transparency, how a hard-fought effort to pass a new law could bring justice and closure for some Texas families. The buoy barrier Texas placed in the Rio Grande will stay in place after a week of dueling decisions in the federal courts. On Wednesday, a judge ordered the state to remove the barrier. Hours later, Governor Greg Abbott announced the state filed an appeal. 
Thursday, a federal court ordered a temporary stay. Governor Abbott ordered the barrier to be placed in the river earlier this summer. It's part of an effort to deter migrants from crossing the river into Texas. The Biden administration filed suit claiming the state needed permission from the federal government to build the barrier. Polling shows Texans have mixed views over the buoys. Last month, the Texas Politics Project at the University of Texas asked voters for their opinions about barriers along the Rio Grande. Slightly more than half supported placing buoys and barbed wire at the river to deter migration. 40% were opposed. Nearly 90% of Republicans supported the policy compared with less than 20% of Democrats. The court fight over the buoys is the first federal suit tied to Governor Abbott's Operation Lone Star. The multi-billion dollar effort includes deploying state troopers and military resources to deter migrants. Most Texas voters support the operation. The Texas Politics Project found 64% supported the general policy of deploying additional state police and military resources to the border. Just 29% opposed the operation. 94% of Republicans were in support, while just over a third of Democrats backed Operation Lone Star. A new law aims to bring justice and closure to some Texas families. The impact of our reporting finally paying off as lawmakers end the dead suspect loophole, meaning evidence will no longer stay buried. An effort to protect patients and save lives delayed. Why Texans will have to wait to get help from a new law to help you know if your doctor has a troubled past. Texas police no longer have discretion to withhold records when someone dies in their custody. A new law recently took effect following years of our investigations. It closes the state's dead suspect loophole. Our team revealed that loophole has been used widely by police across Texas for years to keep certain details about deaths secret, including audio and video. I spoke with the bill's author about why he believes there's still work to do surrounding police transparency. Once people found an avenue to keep information secret, uh, they utilized it. And, and I don't put it past anybody to continue to try to find wiggle room in the law that was passed. And we'll just have to see how that unfolds. What do you do with those law enforcement agencies that refuse to follow this law? Or who's even checking to make sure that the law is being followed? You know, I, I think there's going to be a number of requests that go forward after September 1st uh, to test it to see who's going to follow the law and who's not. And to those who want to continue to shield uh, this information from the public and not follow the law, uh, then my message is very clear. We, we will see you in court. Perhaps the largest opponent of this legislation over the years has been the police unions throughout Texas. Um, do you have any indication of how they feel with how things turned out? It would not surprise me uh, that they would be in the middle of challenging this going forward. I think they'll probably fight it. Uh, you know, it's something they don't agree with. And so my guess is we'll probably see more litigation around it. Uh, but the message is clear. Uh, the people deserve to have this information. And, and, and sunlight on these bad situations is a good thing. Is there anything you would like to do to continue to strengthen this law uh, in a future session? There was a second lesser portion that the Senate excluded and refused to put back into it that had to do with internal records or notations. Now, I don't think that applies to the information that we're really after, but could a law enforcement agency turn around and stamp everything as an internal record and try to create a new loophole 
because that provision didn't end up in the bill? Uh, probably. I think they could probably try to go that path. And so we'll see uh, how law enforcement entities deal with that in the next two years. If it's still being exploited and it is able to be exploited in the way that we saw in the past, then we, uh, in, in no unnecessary terms, have to come back and close that last provision. As this law goes into effect, is there anything else you'd like to say? I really do want to thank the, the families who had to continue to relive uh, the horrors of, of losing their loved ones and coming and telling those stories a number, essentially re-traumatizing themselves over and over again. But they were doing it because they knew it was the best thing going forward so that other people wouldn't have to go through that. And, and I want to thank those who are in the media who talk about how important this is for public information to shine a light on very tragic circumstances. You have had you know, yourself and others uh, that have been dogged in their approach to this and saying this is information that belongs to the public and making sure that it was in the forefront of people's minds. This is a benefit for the public uh, to understand what the government is doing in the most tragic of circumstances. But this is a good example of how uh, keeping the faith and working on it session after session, year after year, you can get to the result that is best for all Texas. In the most recent regular session, the measure received renewed bipartisan support following the deadly mass shooting at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde. You can catch up with our complete coverage. We have a link to our denied landing page in this week's State of Texas story. You can find it now in the Texas politics section of our website. A new state law that aims to improve doctor discipline transparency is now in effect, sort of. Texas patients will suffer while the Texas Medical Board is taking its sweet time implementing the new law. We investigate why Texans will have to wait two more years before knowing if their doctor has a troubled past. The Texas Medical Board's goal is to, quote, protect and enhance the public's health, safety, and welfare. But we've discovered in case after case, the board has instead prioritized protecting physicians over patients. Five months after we took the findings of our investigation into the Texas Medical Board straight to lawmakers, a major new law is now in effect. The new law aims to protect patients and save lives. It's a direct result of our Still Practicing series, which began more than a year and a half ago. Our team found dozens of doctors treating patients despite having their medical licenses revoked or suspended in other states with no record on the Texas Medical Board's website. Investigator Matt Grant found even though the new law is now in effect, patients who want to research their doctors ahead of time still have to wait another two years for better transparency. From the best burgers to the tastiest tacos, we search online for everything. But when it comes to looking up your doctor, we have to get the secrecy out of healthcare. Transparency is not on the menu. The sad fact about it is in Texas and elsewhere, you can find out more about the safety history of a vehicle or a washing machine than you can a doctor. Medical malpractice attorney Kay Van Way represented victims of the Dallas spinal surgeon dubbed Dr. Death. While she calls the new law a step forward, she's outraged a key component, making out-of-state disciplinary records public, won't fully kick in until fall 2025. The serious issues that were uncovered in your original investigative reporting made it very, very, very clear 
that patients were at risk. And Texas patients will suffer while the Texas Medical Board is taking its sweet time implementing the new law. The Medical Board is now starting a months-long process of hiring and training five full-time employees. At a combined salary of more than a quarter million dollars a year, they'll be tasked with reviewing reports from the National Practitioner Data Bank and keeping online physician profiles up to date, ensuring out-of-state disciplinary actions are made public within 10 business days. The increased physician monitoring, known as a continuous query, will cost more than $600,000 a year. Those costs are covered by an $11 fee physicians will pay every two years, collected on a rolling basis when new doctors apply for a medical license or existing ones renew. The board says it will take two years to enroll more than 122,000 physicians, telling us in a statement it is not concerned by that delay, saying, This was the funding provision approved by the legislature. The timeline is what is feasible under the method to fund the program using licensing fees. The board is eager to have the new National Practitioner data bank continuous query up and running as we believe it will be of great benefit to our licensure and enforcement programs. This legislation has been a long time in coming and my hope as a patient myself is that this is the beginning of meaningful and significant change. It's unclear how patients will know if a physician profile is up to date. The board says it proactively started updating them last year when we launched our investigation. The board says existing staff will temporarily help until new hires are made and they will rely on alerts from the nonprofit Federation of State Medical Boards. Matt Grant, State of Texas. Under the new law, doctors who've had their medical licenses suspended or revoked in other states are no longer eligible to practice in Texas, and all physicians must undergo a criminal background check and fingerprinting with the Department of Public Safety. You can catch up on our complete coverage online now. Just look for the Still Practicing link in this week's State of Texas story. That's in the Texas Politics section of our website. Thank you again for joining us for State of Texas. I'm Josh Hinkle, and we'll be back next week to bring you an in-depth look at Texas politics.